Well, if you're saying uh, he looks like he's dressed to go to a funeral, that's because I am. Uh, although I'm not going, I'm coming. Um, I did a funeral uh, this morning and so did not uh, want to change clothes. So that's why uh, a little bit of a more formal attire. Now, secondly, um, for those of you who thought that uh, Gigi was dead, Gigi is not dead, uh, and, and I want to explain a course that I want to teach you uh, in, uh, through the Gigi uh, format. Um, we have a missions conference that's coming up the end of this month. It starts like three weeks from tonight on a Wednesday night. The speaker is a guy by the name of Ligon Duncan, and I, I challenge you to go uh, Google Ligon Duncan. I think you'll find something very impressive. Um, he, he's the president of RTS Seminary, and but many other things uh, associated with him. Anyway, that's wonderful. But the but the theme of the missions conference is um, pastoral training. The ministries of which we're a part uh, around the world that are training pastors. Uh, there's a couple of them. There's a couple of guys that I want you to meet while when they're here. Marshall and Catherine Brown, who is in Czech Republic and. Uh, does a lot in uh, Africa and on and on. But anyway, um, the GG course is in, uh, in, in somewhat concert with the pastoral training uh, theme. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Here's the title of the GG course, but actually it's going to have several titles. So uh, I'm not sure which title uh, I'm going to ultimately land on, but here's the first one. Um, the title is Jordan Peterson's Contribution to Pastoral Training. <laughs> How many of you have uh, recognized the name Jordan Peterson? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, there is a GG course on the 28th, and you need to be there. <laughs> um, uh, Guys, Jordan Peterson is one of the um, phenomenons around the world today. He has one YouTube that has been viewed over 10 million times. 10 million times. He fought a, um, a, uh, a law in Canada in 2016, uh, and he called it compelled speech because it, it meant that uh, if he wanted to be called a female, I had to call him a female, although I know he's a male. So anyway, he became uh, uh, quite a uh, rock star in 2016, but I mean, it is, it is mushroom. Anyway, Jordan Peterson's contribution to pastoral training, okay? <laughs> and we're going to talk about the whole LGBTQ phenomenon as well, or movement, whatever you want to call it. That'll be woven into this GG course on the 20th, it's a Saturday, I guess it's the 20th, maybe it's the 29th, 29th. So uh, on that Saturday morning, the 10 to noon kind of thing, um, folks, if you have not been introduced to um, Jordan Peterson, you, you need to be. You really do. Um, there is, there's, I tell you what, challenge you. Go home tonight and just Google Jordan Peterson. Just do that. <laughs> wow. Um, he is um, controversial and, um, and brilliant at the same time. So we'll, um, that'll be the GG course on the 29th, Jordan Peterson's Contribution to Pastoral Training, <laughs> plus LGBT. I haven't figured out how to get that in there, but we'll, we'll, we'll work on it. Guys, tonight we proceed in the, the, uh, the um, Apostles' Creed. 
We're all the way to, I believe in God. <laughs> um, you know, it goes, I believe in God the Father Almighty. Let's start like this. So many times in the systematics class, I ask people to tell me things about um, um, who did that, which, uh, you know, uh, and they, their answer is God. Folks, um, the term God is a term that can be used in two ways. Um, it can be used as a summary for the, for the whole Godhead. So in, the, in that sense, it's a, it's a summary title, God. But it is also used to designate one of the persons of the Trinity, God the Father. Now listen to the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. The first statement that he's making is about God the Father. And so when, when, you're, when you're thinking through theological issues, you, I mean, folks, when you pray, oh God, I thank you for dying on the cross for me, that's inaccurate. That's called patropassionism. Who died on the cross for us? The Son. God the Son. So you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Who regenerates? Well, that'd be God the Holy Spirit. So if you're going to use that term, and in the, in the Apostles' Creed, it's being used very specifically to talk about the first person of the Trinity. I believe in God the Father. But we're going to get to the Father next week. I, I want to start by simply saying, uh, talking about this assertion that I believe in God. Gang, um, here's where I think I'm going to lose so many of you. Um, and I, I say that because I, I said earlier that I think people have such a low ecclesiology and they have a low appreciation of theological precision. Um, one of the things that I think is not serving us very well is our, our lack of precision. Let me just warn you, please, do not engage the LGBTQ crowd unless you're going to be precise in your definitions and in your use of terms. Please don't. You're going to embarrass the rest of us. Precision, folks, is, is, a, is an admirable and a, and a beneficial thing, okay? For instance, um, there are those who would suggest that any study of God, theology, that any study of God is nothing but anthropology. Did you get that? <laughs> um, listen, Jimmy, I'm just trying to hack it on Monday mornings, and you're spinning all this stuff about anthropology. All right, again, um, uh, here, here uh, Sigmund Freud would say that God the Father is nothing more than a projection of our hopes to have a father figure to help us deal with our own guilt problems. Or he would say that we got God by having faced um, a hurricane. And we, the hurricane was so powerful that we didn't have any way to deal with it. And so we thought up this idea about God and, and made him into some kind of personal figure and therefore we can appeal to him, we can sacrifice to him, we can pray to him because we're just dreadfully afraid of this hurricane thing. So that, um, so that God, uh, or, or that God didn't create you, you created God. 
anthropology. Um, he is just an, a subjective uh, construct that we have made to help us deal with, our, uh, with, with life and all of its difficulties. God does not exist apart from us. But he exists because of us. <laughs> That's what uh, the, the, uh, the world of philosophy and psychology thinks about your assertion. I believe in God. I'll tell you one other thing in just a moment, but let me tell you about assertions first of all. Ladies and gentlemen, Christianity is a, is a religion of assertions. Martin Luther said, take away assertions and you take away a Christianity. You want to hear one of them? Here it comes. I believe in God. That's an assertion. Um, and if we um, eliminate assertions, then we have nothing to talk about. Which is what the, the, uh, the, the, the world of philosophy would, um, would try to convince us of. Guys, the first thing I've told you is that God has not created you, that you created him. It's just anthropology. It's just an extension of your own emotional fears and, and anxieties, et cetera, et cetera. And that's where he came from. There is another uh, school of thought that suggests that God, because he... Well... Um, Yes, because God is timeless and spaceless and we are time and space bound, therefore it is impossible to know him. God lives in timelessness and spacelessness. We are time and space bound, therefore we cannot know this God. Okay? If you've ever heard of uh, the emergent church, the emerging church, they would tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that there is nothing that you can know comprehensively about God. And you know what? They're right. There's nothing that you can know comprehensively, very frankly, about anything. But what we can know um, about God, we can know truly. Though you will never know him comprehensively, that is, everything there is to know about him ever and was and is. No, you'll never have that knowledge. But the knowledge that you can have of him is, um, is true knowledge. And it's um, everything that you need for life and godliness is available to us. But um, the emerging church movement uh, is trying to hinder you from a, an, an, an a serious pursuit of knowledge of God. And I'm saying to you, there's nothing that you need more. There's nothing more practical than I, that I can tell you than, than to tell you that you must know God. Um, Jesus said it in John 17, and this is eternal life, that you know God. <laughs> and so we, the, the Apostles' Creed begins with that assertion, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about him later on next week, Lord willing. But tonight, here's the assertion. I believe in God. And by the way, um, Paul had no such reservations about making assertions. In fact, in Acts 17, you remember, he's in Athens and, uh, and he's got all these, uh, these uh, uh, statues of gods lining the streets. And, 
and, and he said, um, you know, I, I perceive that you're a religious crowd. You're a bunch of religious people, and I, and I respect that. Uh, but the God that you worship in ignorance, I therefore proclaim unto you now. You see, Paul had no reservation about making assertions. He was not shy about making assertions um, based on, um, on truths that were available to him. And neither should you be. There, there, there is enough information available to us that we can make not comprehensive, but true ones. True assertions about who God is and what he's like and, um, uh, and what he has done for sinners. Now, guys, all right, so uh, uh, the emerging church says you can't know him because he's timeless and spaceless, and, and philosophy says he doesn't even exist. He's just a, a piece of anthropology. In, 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 um, in response to that, what the Old Testament does is say, this is, this is the way that we're going to teach you about God. By the way, here's another word that seems to... When I say revelation... You cannot think of the last book of the Bible. Um, The Old Testament is a grand piece, and and even into the New Testament. Yes, and even in the New Testament. Oh, gosh, yes, in the New Testament. But the Old Testament is a piece of self-revelation. What the Bible is doing, what, what, what the Bible is doing is revealing who God is. And how does it do it? How does the Bible do that? Primarily... It does it through the use of names. And there are all kinds of names that we could spend time on tonight, ladies and gentlemen. And, and I, you know, uh, you know a lot of them. El Sadek um, is a, it's God. Um, the word El, E-L, that's, that's, a, that's a, a Hebrew name for God. El Elyon, Elohim, El Sadek. El Roe, you know, those are, this is God, and if you, if you say like um, El Roe, then what you, ha- what you have is this is God and this is his attribute. The attribute is that he's a seeing God. Or um, El um, Rafa is that he's a healer. There's the name, there's the attribute. But the name that is the most communicative and the most necessary is the one that everybody, I think, knows here. But it is pregnant with meaning. I remember in my early years as as a minister, um, I I, I would make a statement like that. The name is pregnant with meaning. And there was a woman that started kind of a phone calling campaign and saying, have you noticed how often he uses the word pregnant? <laughs> now, I don't know what she meant by that, but it certainly wasn't a compliment, I'm, I'm sure. But, uh, it, guys, uh, the name that is the most dominant name in all the Old Testament is, of course, yod Hey vav Hey. Yahweh. Now, I, I've said this to you before. The verb um, is the verb to be. That's just the, that's the Hebrew verb to be, hayah. And this is the first person singular, um, uh, the yod. 
And so when you put them all together, you've got the word, I am. Now, guys, um, think about that just for a second. I mean, we could spend the rest of the night. What, what, is, what has God told you about himself in that he has named himself that? What an odd, odd uh, assumption. Oh, uh, when I get back to Egypt and I meet up with Pharaoh, who, who will I tell him sent me? And God says, well, okay, uh, well, that's a good question. And, and here's the answer. Yahweh. I am. <laughs> what does that mean? Guys, can you see what is bound up in that name? How about independence? You know, ladies and gentlemen, this lust to be independent, there's only, if you're independent, then he's not. There can only be one independent, and that's God. The rest of us are dependent. Um, Self-sufficiency. He's independent. He's self-sufficient. He's self-existent. All bound up in this name. We're talking about, I believe in God. Well, what what do I believe about him? Well, uh, how do I know this guy? Well, the scriptures use his names to uh, help me understand him. So what has he told me? He's told me all of this. And he's got a, a whole list of other names that you know you've seen before El Shaddai you know so that's the way that God that is the process of self-revelation God is explaining himself and to do it he's he's giving you names and so uh to know who this God is a, a, a good thing would be to understand simply the names um I was trying to think if there's, oh, there, there, there is, I, I do want to, um, that's Old Testament. Let me tell you one in the, in the New Testament. You know, on, on, on Sunday mornings, um, the staff gets together and prays. And um, uh, we pray from about 8.45 to 9 o'clock, and, and, uh, and we're just praying for the Sunday morning, the services of the morning. But as I sit there and listen to the staff pray, it's almost, a hundred percent of the time, and I'm, I'm sure it's not, but almost a hundred percent of the time, they start their prayer with a name that was completely denied in the Old Testament. <clears throat> Father. You know, when Jesus was asked to teach them to pray, and um, the disciples say, you know, uh, well, John the Baptist uh, teaches his guys how to pray. Could you teach us how to pray? And he says, well, yeah, here we, here we go. How about this? Let's start, let's pray like this. Our Father. That was scandalous, ladies and gentlemen. Of all the list of names that Judaism comprised, and there were numerous names and numerous lists, conspicuous by its absence was the name Father. And who, who, among, who is it that introduces to that name? That was Jesus. By the way, I think you can find a, a father in the Old Testament, maybe, maybe once, but the name that, that is... That, at least this staff is most comfortable with, and so many of you, is a name that Judaism does not even use and would not even consider. But it's a name. And through the names, God is, it's, it's a, this one process, this grand process of self-revelation. That's what God is up to, folks. I believe in God. What God? Well, that God, the God who is self-sufficient and self-existent and independent, Where'd you learn that? Well, I learned it in his name. 
He told me that in his name. <laughs> how about that? How about the, uh, how about the uh, um, El Sadek righteousness? Oh, where, I mean, what do you know about righteousness? Well, I, God's right. How do you know that? Because of the name. <clears throat> um, now, i got to move. <laughs> so that's one of the ways. Again, um, I, I'm trying to address this, this emergent church thing that says you can't know God. And I'm telling you, Paul never had that problem. He made all kinds of assertions about who God is. And the Bible is one grand book trying to tell you what he's like. So that you can know him. The other way, or, or another way, that the, that the Bible helps us to understand the God that we say that we believe in is through a list of attributes. All right, stay with me because I'm, I'm fixing to... Um, uh, fixing to confuse you. It's a list of attributes that are all anthropomorphic. <laughs> um, for instance, if I were to list you, if I were to list, make a list of attributes, and and I were to put the word mercy up there, that's an attribute of God. Yeah, is God merciful? Yeah. But he's not merciful like we're merciful. I mean, his mercifulness is, is, a, is, a, is qualitatively different than my mercifulness. That's what I mean by anthropomorphic. All of our attempts to, 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 um, to lump together a bunch of attributes like uh, loving and gracious and long-suffering and, and holy and all of that, those are all man-motivated attempts to come up with the descriptions of God that are true, they just fall short. And not only that, if I were to be able, which I'm not, but if I were to be able to make you a complete comprehensive list of all the attributes of God, every last one of them, I mean, just name after word after word after word, just a huge pile of them. And then we were to draw a line at the bottom and add them up. our description would still fall short. Yeah, he's all those things, but he's more. So you come up with all the attributes, thinking, and, and it's a good exercise. Just know that even as I understand the attributes of God, um, and I say the holiness of God, it's a great description of who God is and what he's like. But even my word falls short of his holiness. Now, by the way, I should tell you this too, just for those of you who like this kind of stuff. The attributes of God are, developed, are, are separated into two categories. The attributes of God, are there are the communicable attributes and the incommunicable attributes. There are incommunicable attributes, for instance, eternality. That's a characteristic of God, eternality. Everybody knows what that means, don't you? He's eternal. Well, that is an attribute that he does not share with us. But he has another attribute. He's merciful. Well, he does share that one with me. So he's got non-communicable attributes, eternality, independence, self-sufficient. Those, those are all attributes that he does not share with the creature. But then there are the communicable ones, the ones that he has and that we have too, but in a far greater, uh, lesser measure. 
in, in terms of possession of even holiness. There should be a, that, that's what he shares with us. We're holy people too, just not in the same way that he is. Okay, so you can know him through names. You can know him through a collection of his attributes. Psalm 19, folks, um, Psalm 19 is a wonderful um, psalm to preach because it's, it's so clear. It's divided up into two halves. Um, one half is about a celebration of the word of God, and the other half of it is the celebration of um, creation. Another way that you can know him is through creation, and all of us have experienced that. In some way, we go out and we see something and we step back and say, wow. So there is, a, there is certainly a way to know him through creation. Um, now, but as we quit, you can know him through names. You can know him through a collection of attributes. You can know him through creation. But the final way and the, um, the most desirable way to know him is through Jesus Christ. Um, guys, let me read you this. Uh, this is an interesting statement out of, um, if I can ever find it, Hebrews uh, chapter 1. Uh, I, I preached on this when we went through Hebrews, but just, just listen to this statement. This is, this is really something. Um, uh, long ago and in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us <coughs> by his son. How did God communicate certain things to uh, the nation of Israel? Through prophets, through mouthpieces that he raised up and set aside. Uh, you know them all. Uh, you've heard their name, Obadiah, you know, Nahum. Um, he would speak to Israel through mouthpieces called prophets. In the former times, uh, he spoke to us by the prophets. <laughs> but in these last days, how did he speak to us? He, speak, he spoke through us through Christ. Um, let me ask you this. Um, do you have any hope of forgiveness of your sin? On what do you bank that? On, on what do you rest that? Well, you know, uh, uh, God uh, is forgiving. Well, how do you know that? Because Jesus told us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then listen to this statement. This is in um, verse 18. Um, I hope you've seen this before. No one has ever seen God, the only God. Who is that? Oh, excuse me. No one has ever seen God, the only God, the one we just talked about in John 1.1, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Folks, the, the, the mission and the, the ministry of Jesus Christ is, multi, uh, is multiplicity. I mean, it's, um, there's all kinds of facets to it, multifaceted. Uh, of course, he had to conquer the devil, and he had to pay for sin, and he had to um, 
uh, live the life that I couldn't live. But one of the things that he was doing is, is that he was letting us know what God was like. Um, for the emergent church to stand up and say, you cannot know God because he's timeless and spaceless, is to undercut one of the cardinal reasons that Jesus Christ became incarnate. is so that you and I could have concrete information about the nature and the character of God. Jesus Christ takes on flesh so that he can tell us what God's like. We have a lot. We have the names. We have attributes. We have the prophets. Yeah, yeah, we have creation. But the Son of Man comes alongside all of that and fills in the blanks and the, and the empty spaces to tell us that this God is a God on whom you can rely. A God... Um, who has made provisions for people who still wonder, after all I've done, I can be forgiven? How could that, how can that be true? Well, I can tell you a story that Jesus told about a prodigal. And what's he telling you? You know that prodigal son, Luke 15? You know that that parable is not about the son. The parable begins like this. There was a man who had two sons. It's not about the prodigal son nor the elder brother. The parable of the prodigal son is about the father. There was a man who had two sons. Jesus wanted you to know something about his father. And so he tells you that parable that is so endeared to so many of us. That is an effort on the part of Jesus Christ to tell you what his father's like. How did you know him? He told me that. How do we know that this is true about it? Because Jesus told me it was, it was what he was like. He does it all throughout the New Testament. Guys, when we stand and say, I believe in God, um, we are not only saying that there is a God. What we are also saying is that that God can be known. And we're also saying, I think, that the knowledge that we have of that God <clears throat> can be meaningfully communicated. I can stand up here and tell you things about this God that are not comprehensive, but they're true. And enough truth on which I can rest my soul. So, I believe in God. We'll talk about the Father Almighty next week. But I believe in God. That's an assertion, ladies and gentlemen. Take away assertions, then you take away Christianity. But that's an assertion, and I believe in a God who is explained for me. He did it himself. It's called self-revelation. He did it through names. He did it through attributes. He did it through the prophets. And in these last days, he sent his son to do it, just so that we would get it right. Let's quit. Our Father, um, we are people who are bound in a 
by time and space. And yet, uh, that has not stopped you in one tiny way from communicating truthfully enough for us to know you, to find forgiveness in your provisions, and to love you. Oh God, would you make, um, would you make us aware more fully of who you are, what you're like, what you've done, And the more we know of you, the smaller we will get. The bigger you become, the smaller we will be, and that will be good. Would you you arouse the interest of your people in a thoroughgoing, deeply life-changing knowledge? Not an informational knowledge, but a personal, relational knowledge of who you are and what you're like and what you've done in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the privilege that is mine to, um, to exhort, and I pray that your people will be benefited. We ask it all, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.